As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Secret Cabinet. Hello and welcome to The Secret Cabinet. Today, from short to long, bodily abnormalities in antiquity. A dwarf is in the witness stand, and the lawyer asks the opposing lawyer to ask the judge whether he can also ask questions to the witness. The judge agrees but says, make it short, and the lawyer responds, I'll keep myself as short as the witness is. Admittedly, the joke's not the best one. It's also over 2,000 years old and has quite a beard, but it does come from the big politician and rhetorician Cicero, who used this anecdote as an example of a joke in his book De Oratore, and it goes to show that the idea goes back before modern times of reality TV and like shows like Germany's Top Whatever to show that appearance kind of mattered. There was a norm, and deviating from such was always seen as either amusing or even shocking. Like in some cultures, maybe a big rear end is seen as the result of too much fast food. But thousands of years ago, in the Stone Age, the figurines we have preserved from that time are exactly that sort of body type. But in that culture, must have been some sort of ideal body shape. For the same reasons that whoever had such a body type must eat foods in high enough quantities that they must be economically uh, sound. They, it must they must be doing okay. Not someone for that suffered of hunger. And even the classic antiquity loved freak shows. At least the levels of society that could afford it. Deformed or even just strangely grown peoples with abnormalities were often demanded top dollar for at the slave markets, for instance, but were also treated especially well and even did well financially, especially in comparison to the working slaves in the galleries like the ships or the mines. 
but that was not always the case. In earlier times, in times of crises or catastrophes, often people publicly seen as like ugly or malformed were often quick scapegoats or in old Greek pharmakoi, singular pharmakos, etymologically connected to pharmaton, like medicine, like pharmacy. They often had some sort of ritual because they thought people with abnormalities um, had somehow made the gods angry. And in the 6th century BC, the Greek poet Hipponax, he writes that when a city meets a catastrophe, like famine or disease or some other catastrophe, they gathered together the ugliest people. That should be sacrificed as pharmakos or kind of like a scapegoat. When they found a good place for the sacrifice, they handed the victims or the sacrifice bread, fruit, and wine. Their penis was hit with fig branches or other wild tree branches. But then they had set them up on a big pyre and set that on fire. Afterwards, they would spread the ashes into the winds so that this should be the sacrifice for the city. In Ionic cities like Athens and Aptera and other such cities, the victim of the sacrifice was stoned instead. But Marseille and Loikas and other places would throw the victims over a cliff into the sea. In the Greeks' defense, it should be said that over time, less and less actual people were used and just symbolically people were sacrificed to relieve a city of famine or disease or whatever was plaguing it at the time. In ancient Rome, unusually formed people, well, they, they fared a little bit better. Even as slaves, no high-status household could dare not have a slave of some sort of deformity or, yeah, just interesting shape. Whether it's just someone that's very short, mute, even just someone of kind of with special needs, but even just hunchback or, or all sorts of things, just anybody, yeah, I mean, yeah, Romans were weird. Kind of like a medieval court, court jester, they were kind of a counterweight to the serious philosophical discussions going on or just for, you know, there for comic relief. And sometimes the guests liked to see the mistreatment of such slaves, which is unfortunate, obviously. The poet Marcial writes about a nouveau riche, decadent young man named Suilius. When he snaps his fingers, the eunuch already knows Suilius, who may have been a slave himself, now mistreated his own slaves uh, in various ways in front of guests. Morionis, which are kind of mentally handicapped slaves, were kept by the aristocracy for the entertainment of their guests. But sometimes they were also exhibited in circuses or with wild and colorful uh, costumes, sometimes with a belted-on phallus. They might go off on parade or kind of do simple acrobatics like handstands, or might carry out mock fights with oversized weapons against women in the arena. Ridit Mars Parta et Quinta Virtus, as the Roman poet Statius writes in the first century, roughly translated, the war god Mars and other gods bent over laughing. I mean, humor is what one makes of it. Sometimes, strangely shaped, slaves were so popular that they were priced higher than usual bodied uh, people, especially those that were used as jesters, like the poet Martial wrote about. He writes of a story where an average person was sold as a jester for 20,000 and demanded his money back, and Pluto even writes that next to the slave market for average-looking people, there was kind of a freak show, like a monster market, so, so to speak, at the end. One slave dealer named Marcellius Flaccus broke the record by selling a set of slaves for 200,000 sterci. Twins, despite the fact that they had completely different parents and came from opposite ends of the Roman Empire. When the ruse was finally found out, a scandal obviously erupted, but the slave seller defended himself, saying that, well, twins that are alike are pretty, is pretty common, but finding two people from the opposite ends of the world that are similar to each other, now that really is worth the money.
Not just the aristocracy and rich people had these sort of slaves as jesters, but even the emperor himself. And so Emperor Commodus, he let two hunchbacked people completely covered in mustard and carried out on silver tablets. All right then. One of Commodus's favorite slaves was one that, despite his short stature, had a very larger-than-average uh, primary sexual organ, which is why the emperor lovingly gave him the nickname Onos, which means donkey. And the preference of such uh, people of short stature in courts already appears before this already to the times of ancient Egypt, and maybe even had come from there through the Ptolemies to the Roman Empire. The Brooklyn Museum has an interesting sculpture from the 4th century BC uh, from Egypt, which is unofficially compared to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The main figure is a large naked woman with a curly wig who is surrounded by short men with huge sexual organs, which is, be well, how do I put this? Well, just go look it up yourselves. Big or kind of like taller than average slaves don't seem to have had the same excitement around them. Maximios, the soldier emperor, according to the historian Capitolinos, is supposed to be some 2 meters 60 or uh, what's that, 7, 8, 8, 9 feet tall, and so strong that he could pull a cart single-handedly, could knock out a horse's tooth with a punch, and crush stones with his heel. His thumb was allegedly so big that he could wear an armband of his wife as a ring. Presumably everything's a little exaggerated, but his predecessor, Ella Gabal, once accused him saying, you gloat that you could crush 30 men's at once, but can you do it 30 times in one night with a woman? But yes, even large uh, phalluses were much treasured among the Romans, and much respect was given the owner of such a thing. One writing says, don't you hear the applause from coming from the baths? That's Maron and Maron's uh, overly large piece. And of course, the depictions of overly large phalli, is that the plural? It was obviously seen as less obscene than it would be today. And it's exactly these depictions which in the 19th century uh, would be locked up in the museums in something called a secret cabinet, the, the name of this show. This is exactly what the, the actual secret cabinets in the 19th century contained. It was mostly done to protect the women of the 19th century from seeing these depictions of overly large phalli. But in Roman times, you'd have depictions of men's gender organs as part of lamps and uh, in wall murals and yeah, just all over the household. Even worn as talismans against the evil eye. Yeah, wearing a big phallus around your neck would distract the person giving you the evil eye, the person that's envious of you, <laughs> and instead curse the thing around your neck. But Ilagabal died in 222, as I already mentioned in another episode, and his son gave his collection of strangely shaped slaves to the people, afraid that otherwise their upkeep might bankrupt the treasury. But slaves who became disabled through their work, they didn't fare as well as, as the jesters and the ones for entertainment. A slave that couldn't work didn't have a lot of value for his owner. So Claudius in the first century AD had already forbidden the killing of a slave that couldn't work, but honestly, it wasn't enforced that strongly. Their food rations were decreased, often they were just locked away, and didn't receive any sort of medical treatment, and had to deal with all sorts of other repressions. The exceptions here might be the house slaves um, who became disabled because they were like the familiar part of the society of the household itself, and they might be taken care of in the case of an accident or where they just could no longer work. 
depending on whether the owner could afford it or not, really. Like Seneca, the Roman author and politician, he had inherited from his deceased wife a slave which required medical treatment. Seneca didn't think much of having such gestures around the house or dealing with the expense of such things, because if he wants to laugh at a jester, then he'd laugh at himself. But this slave then suddenly stopped being able to see. But somehow she doesn't know that she's blind? She keeps asking to be let outside because the house is so dark. But at the beginning of the episode mentioned trial, where Cicero wrote that the dwarf was in the witness stand, he continues to write that the judge wasn't much taller than the dwarf, and so he also became the laughingstock of the whole trial, which probably didn't get the lawyer any brownie points, even though it's weird that Cicero would write of people's stature since Cicero itself means little chickpea because, uh, well, whatever. Let's leave that one for another time. For more history podcasts, visit podcastnick.com, podcastnik.com, and we're an Agora podcast member where you can find even more history podcasts. I'm Travis Dow, the translator of the show, and this show is created by Dale Budla, and thanks for listening. Thank <music> you.